0: We are back from the NFL League meetings in Palm Beach, Florida. And I got to, got to meet this guy there for the first time in person. He's an NFL reporter for ESPN, does a great job. It is Jeff Darlington. Jeff, thanks for coming on. Great to see you once again.
1: Ari, it's good to see you at these events too. You know, you gotta put a gotta put a face with the Twitter
0: name. It's nice. Yeah, it's nice yeah, to actually spend
1: some time with you and hang out.
0: I appreciate that. Now, it was um, obviously after a few years of being um, faceless on Twitter, we made a change, got to PFF, made a couple of things different. And um, it's great to be at all these events, get to see, get, see all the different people, get a bit of a different perspective of how the league works. <laughs> right. it's- see how the
1: sausage is made, huh?
0: <laughs> exactly. It, it definitely gives you a different vantage point of everything. When you're actually there and get to see everybody, all these coaches that people consider to be rivals are all just hanging out and right. basically being buddies. So it, it, it's pretty awesome to see all that. But, you know, I was just thinking about it, like, it was my first league meetings that I ever went to, obviously they didn't have it the last two years, but it really feels like the league is in really good hands right now from like the quality of the game, star mm-hmm. players, labor piece, TV deals, all the stadium situations. I mean, like agenda wise, it felt like the league meetings we just had had to be like the lightest owner meetings ever. Right.
1: It's a great point. I mean, other than the obvious, very um, large shadow of the Deshaun Watson situation, which, right. I think you could argue, generally speaking, all sports are often dealing with something like that. But if you if you kind of if it's possible to set that aside, I think that you're right. You look at sort of the vibe of that league meeting and it did feel largely light. It felt, um, you know, I think that I think that everybody's got um, at least with general managers, coaches, all of the sort of football centric um parts of the game it does feel like it's it's in a really good place um it, it felt also already like you know they're working on diversity issues yeah. trying to find a way the the new rule that they implemented by having an offensive assistant on every staff and works closely with the head coach there it feels like they're trying to make progress you know whether people agree with that or not i don't really know but but to your point it feels like it's in a good place
0: yeah i felt uh, uh mostly relaxed over there i mean usually there are way more proposals there was not much going on just the overtime stuff which was passed but um you know virtually i believe almost all the coaches were there besides for mccarthy and Dan campbell who didn't feel well But I want to start off over here with you just with the Dolphins and Mike McDaniel, because he's such an interesting guy. And he was around there and like his press conference at the morning breakfast, if you want to call, there was no breakfast, but whatever. Everybody just surrounds him. The same thing at the combine. And I know you've been covering the Dolphins for a long time, way before even ESPN, I believe since 2005. Mm -hmm. And I know this past off season was crazy for them. They made so many new additions, which we'll get to in a second, but I saw you tweet this recently where you feel like they've rediscovered a long lost identity this past off season. What did you mean by that? What do you see with this team right now? Man, when I say long lost, I'm talking like more than 20 years,
1: really since the Dan Marino era with the dolphins. And I think that's been something that has really plagued this market. Um, Even when they've tried to go offensive centric with this team, um, it, it, it has largely felt like a plotting offense boring ground and pound or whatever. Right. And I think even, I mean, what, what's the most electric thing you can think about from the dolphins in recent memory. And it's probably honestly the Wildcat in 2008. I mean, that's how far back you have to go to, to, to really think of any electric vibe with the dolphins in this in South Florida. And I'm not just talking about the Miami lights. I'm talking about the football community down here um, where I'm at in Fort Lauderdale, where I live, we're within um, five miles of, Of the the biggest hotbed of high school football, which is seven on seven football, which is all speed driven. It's all about speed and electricity. Uh, It's not like, you know, the Midwest, where it's all about corn fed offensive linemen. It's different down here. And I think having a team that is starting to now reflect that is something that is long lost for the Dolphins organization dating back to the Marino days but also in terms of what this sort of community uh, looks for in its football.
0: You know, I want to talk about Mike for a second, because yeah. you mentioned this offense and it's so electric, so many fast players, skilled players you could do so much with them, but Mike being the head coach, because everyone will tell you he's a genius and Kyle Shanahan brought him everywhere from, I believe it was Houston, Atlanta, Washington, Washington, Right. Cleveland, and then San Francisco, or it was one of those orders. He was a key part of that offensive staff, but now he's going to lead the team. He's going to be the head coach. He's not just a guy drawing plays in his room. A great point. How do you how do you believe he'll do that when it's the whole team in front of him?
1: So I've known Mike for like 15 years. And, um, and I think that the first thing that comes to mind whenever anybody mentions him is eccentric, different. We were joking about right. that the other day. Yeah. Like, hey, aren't you that guy who's kind of different? Like, you know, that's the way everybody talks about him, but he's actually, if you do know him and you get to know him, he does also have this, and I will say oddly, um, magnetic personality. Yeah. And, uh, I I talked to a number of players for the 49ers, um, really before he even got hired uh, about Mike and, and you can feel it from those guys, whether it's Debo or Kittle, um all walks of life from all different backgrounds. And they really love playing for him. And and I think that's an important quality in a coach. Now, like you said, I think my biggest wonder with Mike and probably those around him are, this is a guy who does like to lock himself in a room and dive into a game plan for 15 plus hours and not come out like a mad scientist kind of deal. As a head coach, you don't necessarily have that luxury because you can't just go turn your phone off, go in a room, and expect everything in your building to stay okay. He's insulating himself with a really good staff, an experienced staff. I think that will help, but there is you know, a wonder. I am very confident that Mike will do a good job, but there is a wonder how that model of being this sort of super genius will, will translate to being a head coach of all things football.
0: Right, and it's probably like the one thing that I'm most curious about with him because it, it's like funny because I was talking to their PR guy there at the league meetings, and it's like everyone wants to talk to him, and whenever he has a press mm-hmm. conference, everyone like expects him to like crack a joke or something, and when he wants yeah. to be serious, it's like they don't expect him to be serious. And he wants to be serious. You know what I mean? Like He's just so different and unique, and I'm just curious to see how would he do in front of the entire team. Now, yeah. you look at this team, and the offense is like just, it's stacked, right? You add Tyree Kill with Waddle, Chase Edmonds, Cedric Wilson, Mostert, um, Teron Amstert, and Connor Williams up front. You tag Siggy, so many players on that right. team. But it really just comes down to the quarterback, and it's Tua. And I get it. He's a bit of a punching bag for fans in the media. But I also feel like he's never really fully had the keys to the car all the way, right? There was the Fitzpatrick element in year one. There was right. the Watson thing in year two. How do you feel like he'll do now this year with this offense, with all these playmakers when he is the guy for this team in a crucial year in year three?
1: You you know, I I think it's also, like you mentioned, and I know Brian Flores is a very hot topic right now in terms of his tenure in Miami and how it ended uh, and ultimately the, the, the waves that have been made since. But I'll say, I don't, putting all of that aside, I never felt like Flores fully embraced Tua to the degree that, maybe certain players need and, and it's funny because you, you can look across the league someone like Tom Brady could, dealt with Bill Belichick's harassment for years and, you know notorious I, I don't think I'm telling any secrets by saying that Belichick was all over Brady no matter how good he was certain players can deal with that and certain can't and I'm not sitting here I'm not saying that Tua is quote-unquote soft but you still have to manage players and per, their personalities different Mike, I believe, has a softer touch. I'm not saying, you know, you probably have people roll their eyes and say he's an NFL quarterback. Like, if he needs a softer touch, then he's not, he's not equipped for this. I beg to differ. I think that, the, that quarterbacks are made of all different molds. And, and if Mike can extract the most of his ability, put him in the best situation possible, and lead him in a way that gives him the confidence that he needs – will at least know exactly who and what Tua is. And I'm one of these guys who believe that Tua is, obviously, I'll never rip somebody who's capable of being a starter in the NFL. It's ridiculously hard to do that. But I do wonder about his ceiling. I do wonder if he is the kind of guy who can blow through the ceiling that I think we've all sort of placed on him. At least Mike is the type of guy who can show us if that is in fact the case.
0: Right. But do you believe there's a full commitment to him this year? Like I I know Mike, there is like the the whole Teddy stuff. Teddy didn't want to say he's the backup. Mike said he is, but like going into this year, there's nobody else there. This is your team. We gave you everything. You're the guy going in right away.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if, if Tua can't, now I'll backtrack a little bit. If Tua can't handle someone like Teddy Bridgewater coming in and saying, I'm still competing. Yeah. Then, then I would say, no, you're not capable of being an NFL quarterback. You have to have some alpha in you, right? So, let's be very clear about that. But yeah, if you can't look at this and say they're building around Tua to at least give him the opportunity to win, um, there is n- no question in my mind that this has been done to see what they have in him, um, and and not a lot of quarterbacks. Get that, you know, Lamar Jackson, and it was a little different because you saw it with Lamar, you saw the electricity. And I'm they're two clearly different players, but the Ravens said, Okay, this guy's electric and unbelievable, but we need to do things differently in this offense for him if he's going to succeed. And they did that. With Tua, it feels more like if we didn't have enough around him. Let's build it, see what we have. And then by the way, in a year, you've got two first round picks. If it doesn't work out with Tua this year, not only do you have two first round picks to work with but you now have also sort of set the bed for a plug and play quarterback that you do believe in to come in and succeed. So in both regards, I think the dolphins have put themselves finally in a situation where they can look at the future and say, I think we're on to something here.
0: Yeah. And from Tua standpoint, of course, if you do have a big year, let's just say, After year three, of course, you become eligible for an extension. If he really explodes, that's where you could actually go to the table. I know some teams don't want to go do that after year three, but when you have that many weapons with that type of a roster, you never know what his ceiling could actually be. I know there's a lot of talk about it, what it is, what it's not, where could he go? But when you look at that team, you look at that offense, look at the scheme they're going to put together, there is potential for it to be something great if it all comes together. I want to shift over to Tom Brady, who used to be in the AFC East, and... You and Adam, of course, reported that he was retiring, which he did a few days later. And I want to talk about that whole process as well in a second. But sticking to Miami for a second, was there ever a point after he retired where this Miami stuff had any legs? Because there are some people who really believe he retired to just try to get away from Tampa and then end up somewhere else. But then he realized there's no shot I'm going back to Tampa. Is that something that had any legs or not at all?
1: That wasn't really the way it went down. Um... I don't want to go too far down the wormhole with it, but I, I will say that the idea, when he came back, let's put it this way. When Tom Brady came back, um, when he announced his retirement, he was done with football. It was, There was no ulterior motives. I can tell you that as a matter of fact. There were there were things in the background that he was definitely having conversations, the Miami stuff where there's smoke, there's fire for sure, especially with the ownership aspect of it. Right. But the idea that he was trying to get himself to San Francisco, for instance, that was not going to happen. Um, Tom Brady is building a house in South Florida. He is, uh, it was very important to him when he came to the bucks that he was on the East coast. If you don't recall, that was a big part of it because Jack, his son is in New York and he wanted to be closer to him. Um, you know, relatively speaking. So, like the San Francisco thing wasn't going to happen, um, even if San Francisco would have liked for it to. I mean, but we don't need to go there. That wasn't that wasn't going to be the case. The once he came back, he was fully committed to the Tampa Bay Bucks, um, and that's I think what the most interesting thing about all these rumors that have come around. They're they're just I think they're delayed. I think it's all a little bit like right. people are just sort of finding out maybe a little bit about what was kind of going on behind the scenes before and around his retirement but once he came back he was fully committed to the bucks he made very clear to the bucks organization where he stood with things was in clear communication about personnel situations you know when ali Marpet retired like he he was (laughs) retired at that point but he was still looking at those scenarios understanding that he was starting to get that itch ready so in that regard once he came back it was all about the bucks and as far as i know in all of my conversations, which have been pretty extensive, he remains fully committed to playing for the Bucks in 2022.
0: Right. I mean, it, it would be a bit crazy if he left after bringing back Jensen and getting Fournette back and Russell Gage in and then right. leaves off the back door. It's not going to happen. I never believed that. I was more curious to know if the stuff before that or right when he retired, if that Miami stuff was real. Like you said, it might have been a delayed report over here. Yeah. That's kind of what happened.
1: Yeah. There's, I mean, look, there, there's, I don't, there's certainly been conversations, but between Tom and, and, I mean, he's got very close ties to the dolphins organization.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, At the same time, I think it's always important to remember that I'm not, I don't necessarily subscribe to the belief that you can be like, Oh, that was about to happen. If you don't know the ins and outs, I mean, people can talk about things. They can negotiate even if that's the case. And if something doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. If you go to the car dealership down the street and you look at a car, it doesn't mean that you absolutely are buying that car. And if go you ahead. don't, you walk away and you move on with Tom Brady. It's like, anytime he has a conversation about anything with anybody, it's like, well, wait, he's not committed to the bucks. And it's like, it just wasn't to that extent yet.
0: All right. I want to go back to the retirement for a second. Cause again, you and Adam broke that on a Saturday that he's retiring. And then it felt like the whole world came out and tried to debunk it which was hilarious. And then he finally announced it on a Tuesday. And of course you guys were right. Now you guys also reported back in 2020 before the season, during the season, that it would be his last year in new England and everyone back then also tried to debunk. And of course Mm -hmm. you guys were right on that as well. First off, before I get into the nitty gritty about it, does that like bother you a little bit that you guys are breaking some groundbreaking stuff over here about the greatest player of all time twice And people are trying to debunk it as if it's not true.
1: No, it would only bother me if we were wrong. (laughs) (laughs) In in all seriousness, like I I view journalism, I think through a lens of, first of all, when I report something, it's got to be right. Like there's the idea that it can be half right or, you know, if it's 80% right, go with it. I believe fully that it's got to be 100% right. So from that end, does it bother you that, you know, people literally are like ripping your integrity and all those things and making it very personal. I don't know. I've kind of gotten to the point where I don't really care. Like it's okay. Like when the Tom Brady retirement stuff went down, I I shut down my social media because I knew what was going to be said, but I also knew that it was going to prove to be right. Like there was no question in my mind. So when you know that you basically are just sitting there, okay, just stare at the clock. And I'm not saying it wasn't hard and difficult to endure, especially, you know, Your mom's calling. (laughs) My mom calls and it's like, you know, you hear the concern in her voice and it's like, it's fine. It's okay. You know, like chill out. But so no one wants to go through some of the stresses that come with it. Something that Adam, for instance, goes through weekly. It feels like But that's part of the game. Like if if you don't have thick skin and aren't ready to step into that, that water, then you probably shouldn't be trying to report on Tom Brady because it can get, you know, it's, it is a very big story and it extends well beyond sports.
0: You know, you mentioned looking at the clock and it was like literally 72 hours until he made it official. Was there ever like a point when you thought, oh man, he might just change his mind out of spite because he ultimately did 40 days later. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, was there ever a moment? Cause like, it's one day, two days, three days until Tuesday where he I, finally I mean, makes it official.
1: You obviously go through everything in your mind, but then you're like, it's, it's, I I knew so much more than I can even say right now that like, and and Adam too, I mean, Adam was uh, impeccable through the whole thing and we're having those conversations. So again, what I know in my confidence and his confidence, um, you know, that allows us to, to be less nervous about it, but yeah, you're still sitting there like, let's just get there. You just want that. You know, in the second that he announces it, you're like, okay, deep breath. And it's, it's not here. that you're nervous about whether it was going to happen. You're just like, come on, just because you just know that that changes your day, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, no, I never thought, for instance, that our report caused him <laughs> to retire.
0: No, come on. Nor did
1: I ever think that our report would cause him to not retire. He's Tom Brady. Yeah. He's going to decide things on his own.
0: Now, will this be his last season for sure? Because he could probably go longer, but he's always said 45 is the number. This will be his age 45 season. Do you believe this is likely the last year for him?
1: I don't know, uh, truly. And I don't think that he knows. Um, And I would say everything's on the table next year. This is the last year of his contract. You you talk about, could he have played somewhere else? The dolphins thing, like those floodgates will open again. Yeah. And, If he wants to close him, fine, but I don't think that he does necessarily think that way. A lot of people, I think, believe that Tom is much more um, decisive or committal than maybe he actually is. He is obviously meticulous about the way he goes about his football and and all those things, but he's not as, I mean, he's he's process-oriented, but he's also a day-to-day kind of guy. Um, And he's, you know, at this age... If next year certain opportunities present themselves, like for instance dolphins ownership or something like that, that could change things too. And if they don't present themselves, it could change it where he decides uh, play for the Bucks another year or not. But at this point, I truly do believe, as cliche as it sounds, he's in a year-to-year situation.
0: Right. And looking at first of all, just this past year, led the league in touchdowns, led the league in passing yards. He still has a lot of gas left in the tank. And on top right. of that, the NFC has become far more weaker than what what it was, I should say, last year of all these guys shifting to the other conference. Now, let me... Enough of the Brady talk. Let me go to some current news over here. The wide receiver market has just exploded over the last couple of weeks, and that was a bit of the talk there at the league meetings about the Tyreek Hill trade, the Devontae Adams trade, these guys moving teams, which probably no one could have expected when the offseason started. Right. But now that it's happened... You look at all these other wide receivers out there who are entering the final year of their deals and it makes you you know, wonder if those teams are going to look around and say, we don't want to pay that amount for this receiver. We'll rather trade him and get some more picks like those teams did. Do you think a guy like, uh, let's say DK Metcalf, could he be traded because the Seahawks are in a bit of a remodel, I guess, but he's in the final year of his deal. Do you think teams are willing to, that, to do that now because the wide receiver market has exploded?
1: So it's possible, but I would also argue that suddenly when you start to see the Devonta Adams and Tyreek Hill deals, at some point you've got to say, okay, this isn't just an outlier. This is the new market. And if that's the case, if you're the Seahawks, Or now, in the case of the Chiefs, like, yeah, maybe you can go out and get Jarvis Landry for a little bit cheaper. But if you want the top-tier receiver, you're going to have to pay that amount. Um, And I think the Dolphins ultimately will look back, and and as long as Tyreek Hill's production remains what we expected to be, they'll look back and say, in two years, the contract doesn't look that bad, that it actually meets where the rest of the market is. I had someone at the owners' meetings tell me, too, that they weren't surprised by some of the numbers that you know, some of these markets being reset from the standpoint and and I haven't really dug into this and I'm not really smart enough. You're actually much better at this stuff than I am, but just the, from a cap standpoint, you had the COVID situation last year that reduced the revenue and the salary cap spending. And that's going to eventually even back out at some point. It's
0: it's basically, it's basically there already. It's almost there. there. So now
1: all of a sudden teams can feel more confident in spending money, right?
0: Yeah, because so the TV deals are expected to hit next year, and the, the cap is going to rise. To um, usually it goes up by ten million every year. It went down by ten um, during COVID. It went up by twenty this year, so it's back to where it's supposed to be. Right now it's expected to go up even higher because of these TV deals. But the wide receiver market and the quarterback market are the only ones that have really just took off since. Maybe other positions also do. For fall now, out, right? Yeah,
1: I mean, and that's that's always that's a matter of a trend too Just in the, terms
0: of right needs. but the thing with the wide receivers though is that unlike quarterbacks it's i guess i don't want to say easier but there are so many wide receivers available out there especially in the draft like you can find a guy like a aj brown in the second round terry mclaurin third round oh All shit draft, tony kill
1: was what a fifth round pick? fifth round right <laughs> yeah, exactly so.
0: quarterbacks are there are in tom brady's in the sixth round every year right? right it's impossible to find that the reason behind maybe trading a dk when you are right now in a bit of a remodel, not a rebuild, but Russell Wilson no longer there. You're still looking for the quarterback. Maybe right. it's Drew Locke, maybe not, but it's more of if we trade him now, get more draft picks, we're not winning right now. So should we put $30 million on this guy when we're now winning at this point? It's kind of similar to maybe Kenny Galladay with the Lions, if you remember, yep. where they let him walk in for agency. We're not winning now. So why pay the guy now? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I get that, but I, I do. I, I agree. And I think that's why a trade can obviously make sense for two teams, whereas a team like the Dolphins, like we need this speed or we're not going to even have a chance. So, but I I think that as the market, I think you're going to see these players getting paid that amount. And if that's the case, if that's the quote unquote new normal, then in a couple of years, you're going to be paying a receiver anyway. But to your point, not if they're on a rookie contract. And obviously that's what every team is, is striving to find.
0: Yeah, that's where it gets a little bit complicated. And there are so many other issues besides DK. I mean, I think Terry McLaurin in Washington, I don't think he goes anywhere. Debo Samuel in San Francisco, I don't think he's going anywhere. But those guys are all eligible for an extension. AJ Brown in Tennessee as well, eligible for an extension. I think the. Um, What's his name? Stefan Diggs in Buffalo, I was another say guy. Diggs. Yeah, Diggs. he's at he's at 14 million right now, but that team is going all in. So it makes sense to pay him right now. I'm more curious to know what goes on with DK because I don't really know where Seattle is right now. He's only 24 years old, he's still very Fair. young. I just don't know exactly if they're willing to put all that money down for him right now. Um, let's go over to some quarterbacks because the quarterback movement has also been a bit crazy this offseason. And you know, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, but there are two guys who are still with their teams who many thought would get traded, and that is Jimmy Garoppolo and then Baker Mayfield, of course, with Deshaun Watson coming in. Do you believe those teams are a bit stuck right now? Like what what do you do? What you know, what do you do with these guys?
1: I think that they're stuck for two different for separate reasons. Um, you know, I know at the owners' meetings, Kyle was saying essentially, you know, we're not cutting Jimmy G, we'll keep him. If we want to personally, I I think that that's strategic in the sense that that's what you have to say to generate leverage. If everybody thinks you're going to cut the guy, they're not going to trade for him. And that's, that's where the Browns are a little bit stuck because everybody knows you're not keeping him no matter what, you know, this is not a Trey Lance, Jimmy G situation where at least you could sort of fake that Jimmy G will come back, which I don't believe he will (laughs) Um, Baker, you know, and, and here's the other thing about Jimmy, he's still recovering from surgery. So he's not even able to throw yet. So if I'm a team about to make that investment, I'm at least waiting till closer to the draft and likely after that to know exactly where he stands medically. So I think eventually Jimmy's got a great reputation, you know, you know what you're getting in terms of, I think he'll find a job at some point, whether it's a head or a top job, we'll see. Baker is a totally different beast (laughs) because the Browns have showed their cards. They have to come down. They they can't expect right now. They want someone to take on his contract. Like there's, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. It, it won't happen. So until they change and maybe they should wait too, to kind of see what happens with the market. There's no reason to rush the situation right now. You're not in the building with these guys at this point. Anyway, Teddy Bridgewater didn't get traded till April 28th. So what are we at? March 30th. So last year when Teddy went from Carolina to Denver. Yeah. Denver ends up taking on some of that salary. It's only a six-round pick. To me, that's where this goes with Baker. Um, but again, I think it's important to remember: just because it's March, doesn't mean that a teams don't want Teddy or um, excuse me Baker, Baker. or Jimmy uh, and aren't ultimately, eventually, willing to bring them on. I just think right now they don't really have the reason to pull the trigger.
0: Yeah, it, it's definitely complicated, and Baker is even more interesting to me because I just. I don't really know where the landing spots are besides for Seattle, then maybe Carolina, but I don't know how committed they are to getting a guy like him because I don't know if you remember, but Ben McAdoo once said after he was fired by the Giants that he's like the, he was the number six quarterback on our board and he's the offensive coordinator now. So it's like, I don't know how yeah. much they would want to bring him in. So I don't really know where the market is. And you mentioned the 19 million that they're going to be on the hook for. They would have to eat some of that money as well. And right. it feels like, I don't know, a team like San Francisco, I know he had the surgery, but it felt like they were okay with waiting. And that might've been a mistake, if you know what I mean. Like, I, I, True. Could could that be, you know, if it, like the Colts didn't wait on Carson Wentz. They made the move right away, got great value. Right. It felt like the 49ers were like waiting for the Watson thing to go down. And then Matt Ryan got traded, which took away another landing That's spot. That's a good point. And now they're stuck. Does, does it make some sense to
1: you? It does. Yeah. I mean, you you, you got to decide where you want to. You know when you want to jump yeah. <laughs> and and maybe they did wait a little bit but um you know again I, I i think that we especially in this industry get a little caught up in you know as each day passes you know every day i'm getting my notes on what i'm going to talk about on the show and every day it's like what do you have on jimmy g what do you have on baker right. it's like teams as you probably saw at the owners meetings like it's it's march 30th like they're they're <laughs> They're, they're not in, they just went through the big wave of free agency. They're not really in roster construction mode. They're in draft prep mode. And then after that, you kind of see where you're at. Literally if Baker or Jimmy sign anytime between now and August, what's the difference? Literally there is none. Cam Newton ultimately eventually signed with the Patriots in what?
0: July. Yeah.
1: July. Yeah. So I get it. It's, significant to talk about. I just think that just because those guys don't have a home right now is not an indication of the league saying that Jimmy G and Baker Mayfield suck at the quarterback position.
0: Right. And Andrew Barry, John Lynch, both there at the owner meeting said they are no rush to do anything. Now you mentioned that all these teams are basically now in draft prep, but there are still a bunch of players who are notable guys who are out there as free agents. And there is Tyron Matthew. There's Odell, Stephon Gilmore, Jadavion Clowney. Bobby Wagner. And like every tweet of mine on Twitter, when I put something out, it's a fan shouting, announce this guy going there announced <laughs> to fall Casey, whatever it is. Right. As you mentioned, we're in, most teams are in draft prep right now. Do you believe those guys, it might take some time until they find a home because we're entering into this draft phase, I guess.
1: If I was one of those players, I would, I would at this point, sit on my hands and wait um, only from the standpoint that, you know, where the money is at. And that's because teams are saying, all right, a guy like um, what, what's one of the examples, Bobby Wagner or Matthew. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew. OK, so we're going to go in the draft. If we get it, if we take a safety in the first round, you know, we find our guy there. Maybe we don't sign him. But if we don't find our guy, you know, we'll, we'll go get him. And I think that that's where supply and demand for a veteran player like that become significant so if i'm tyron or bobby at this point if i don't see the offer that i want i go ahead and pull the trigger i mean i, I go ahead and wait and wait i'll talk to, to the draft
0: and it's probably also worth noting and i think like the average fan i don't know if they realize this or they don't even they're not aware of it but a lot of teams take the compensatory compensatory formula very seriously right yeah, that's very true and and if those guys get signed now then it could affect that. If they're signed the Monday after the draft, I believe the signing would have no effect on the formula. I think Bobby was released. So doesn't so he doesn't really count in all this, but all those other guys that were mentioned, they actually affect it Mm -hmm. and their market could actually make a difference with that as well. So while everyone is waiting for something to happen, it might take some time for those guys. Last one here before I wrap this up with you, we've seen a lot of movement around the NFL, but, and you've probably spoke to so many different people there at the owner's meetings, but is there a team that you believe is moving in the right direction and is going to bounce back next season after maybe a tough 2021?
1: Huh. That's a really good question. We talked about the dolphins ad nauseum. That's obviously a, a pretty easy one to look at and say, yeah. whether, whether it happens or not, it's going to be fascinating. Um,
0: you know, I'll give you a second to think of some teams here. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's tough because there are so many teams that are like on that middle to top level. And like there aren't that many teams who are like towards the bottom. I mean, like, that's a good point. Like, it's crazy. The AFC only seven teams make the playoffs, but you can make an argument for like 10, 11 of them. A good yeah. strong argument.
1: I mean, and look at the like, like, I mean, I guess we should be looking at the Browns. As soon as we're able yeah. to get past the off the field conversation that is obviously hotly debated about Deshaun Watson yeah once we finally start to look at the fact that if he is on the field and not suspended you got to think that the Browns are suddenly I mean there's a reason they (laughs) sold their soul I mean They, they, they should be
0: really good right they should be incredible I mean if you look at that roster from all the teams that were going after Deshaun they by far have the best roster. The offensive line is one of the best in the NFL. They have the two highest paid guards, I believe, in the league. Um, they have the great offensive tackles. They have a great running game. Wide receivers of Cooper coming in. Yeah. It's a stacked roster. It really just depends on what happens with Deshaun. And really, you look at the AFC North. I mean, we didn't talk about Pittsburgh, but I don't really know if I don't, fully.
1: Yeah. Mitch Trubisky doesn't I don't doesn't think, make me think Pittsburgh is going to be any closer.
0: I don't think, I also don't think that contract that he signed means he's the starter. I I mean, like, I know there's a lot of talk about the quarterbacks in this draft. They're picking at 20. They've been everywhere. I don't really buy into the whole thing. Oh, they're there. That means they like the guy. Right. But I also think Kevin Colbert, who's retiring, I don't think he wants to leave that organization with Trubisky as the guy. I think he wants to draft the guy, and that's my guy before I left. Similar to Ozzy Newsom with Lamar, if you remember.
1: Or Baker. If, if they could find a way to get them, if the Browns would cut them, that to me is still the one that makes the most sense. But
0: that that would be wild. If we that go, I'm,
1: I, I'm getting off track, but yeah, yeah, I mean, you look at the Browns though. And if, if we're, if, if, we, were, if we were, if we were, if we were able to put, to be like the Browns, if I was able to be like the Browns when they're doing this to Sean Watson deal and somehow compartmentalize football from the off the field stuff, which they've seemingly somehow managed to do, I have no right. idea how. Yeah, you would say, "Oh my God, the Browns just got a top five quarterback." The guaranteed money makes sense. The trade compensation makes sense. It all makes sense, and now you have set the table for this incredible run. So, the Browns are incredibly intriguing again. If and if ifs were fifths, we'd all be drunk.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> you can assume that. Deshaun Watson's legal situation is not going to impact him on the field
0: yep and, and they're definitely going to be um, a very hot topic but once we get to training camp and everything I don't think we're anywhere close to you know stopping to talk about the Browns and there's a lot of discussion about them about Watson and yeah. everything but they're your belief- team Zari who do you think is going to do it I'm trying you- it's, it's a really interesting yeah uh, level of parity right now yeah so I am Kind of on the, I mean, I don't know if they really count, but the Chargers are the one team for sure that kind of count. They, they, I think they, they only count
1: because they they were they, under, they faltered this year a little bit.
0: Right. They didn't make the playoffs, so they kind of count. The, the sleeper team for me, and it really, I would have loved to pick them if they got Tyreek, but it's the Jets that I'm uh, really optimistic about. Yeah, that's because you're up about. in
1: Queens. Nothing yeah. to do
0: with that. I'm not a Jets fan. I have nothing to do with that. <laughs> I just like the way they're building the roster. I mean, it's a very, It's a very, I don't know, it's like they're not being too aggressive. I know it's very conservative, but they're taking their time. It really all depends on Zach, obviously. But, like, I look at that team and I look at that defense and the pieces they've added, they get Carl Lawson back. I just feel like they're doing it the right way, but if they see Zach take it to the next level, and I feel like they need one more piece to make Mm -hmm. it happen on offense. But if they get that and he actually excels, next year is the year where Joe Douglas and Robert Saul go all out to try to make this roster legit that's the way i look at them
1: all right well sounds like i mean you can say it but it sounds like a queen's guy talking <laughs>
0: <laughs> whatever i mean the thing is <laughs> i'll just tell you this much i have a lot of conversations with jets fans here and they are so annoyed at the team for not being right. aggressive for not getting chandler jones for not going give up the number 10 pick for tyreek just do it whatever it is and i'm like no you can't do that because yeah, you can't. You can't. you you,
1: you, gotta- you, and that's where I think the Dolphins are. Oddly, I mean, we're talking. God, I mean, people must be so bored hearing about Dolphins and Jets. But the <laughs> Dolphins are seemingly have been that team building the right way in a lot of ways, and waiting for a moment like this to pull the trigger on something. Of course, that still comes back. If you had Zach Wilson instead of Tua, you'd yeah. probably, you know you'd really be thinking the Dolphins yeah. were about to to surge and. To your point, maybe the Jets are just, I would argue, a year behind. I don't think that they're quite there. They're not there yet. They're not
0: there yet. I just like the approach they're taking. It's it's a slow approach, but it's not the aggressive approach like their previous regime. It's more like, we'll do this slowly but surely, and eventually we'll be at the right spot. It's hard for them because they're in that crazy AFC. That's where the hard part comes in. AFC is
1: going to be just nuts.
0: That's where the hard part comes in. I'm not saying they're a playoff team, but if Zach plays the way a number two overall pick should play, right. I feel like the roster construction, the way they're doing it, is the right way. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, and that's it, fair. That was a have, take. I think they have the right people in the building as well for the first time in a long time. That's the other part. So um, we'll see what happens with them. I think the NFL offseason, it's definitely cooled down a little bit, but we have the draft coming up in four weeks, a little under – Four weeks, exactly four weeks from um, when this is going to drop on Thursday. So Jeff, I want to thank you for taking the time. Everyone can follow you on Twitter and Instagram. It is at Jeff Darlington. Thanks for coming on. Hopefully we could do this again later in the off season. Thanks,
1: all. I appreciate you, Ben.